And my interpretation of that is that good mentors hope that their mentees will exceed what they have accomplished. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski. Hi again. And I'm looking at the smiling face of friend and colleague, Dr. Janet Serwent. Hi, Jan. Hi, Kim. It's so good to see you. You too. You're always smiling and you can't see this people in podcast land, but Jan has a beautiful, bright, yellow, sunshiny room. But whenever I see her on Zoom, I get immediately happy because yellow is my favorite color and my rescue dog is named Sunny, appropriately so. Anyway, Dr. Jan Serwin is a professor emerita in pediatrics and public health, very well known for her mentoring work and very active in Hopkins, the academy. And the academy is for retired faculty members from the School of Medicine, Nursing, Public Health, as well as our university campus up on our Homewood campus. And so Dr. Sherwin has taken a very upfront, outfront leadership role in helping to give back to the academic community here at Hopkins and around the world. So Jan, what else did I miss? Tell people what else you want them to know about you and your career here at Hopkins and wherever you did your training. Well, thanks, Kim. You know, I I feel very grateful. I've had a very wonderful career. I mean, certainly I've had ups and downs like everybody, but in general, I have really appreciated my career and loved it. And part of the reason has been the colleagues, has been the relationships that, that I've formed. And a lot of that has been through mentoring, either in my role as a mentee or as a mentor. And I think we're all in that kind of bi-directional role. We're both throughout our careers. We're both mentees and mentors. That's right. Yeah. And and you were really closely with uh, my colleague and our mutual friend, Dr. Rachel Levine, um, Dr. Joe Cofrancesco in Hopkins Institute for Excellence in Education, and Dr. Dave Kern, who I see uh, jogging periodically around the, the promenade down here in Canton in Baltimore. So a lot of energy and enthusiasm and passion for mentoring. And I know you and you and uh, Dr. Kern invited me to the academy to talk on the differences between mentoring and coaching. So we'll be, we'll be doing that. And that is a, a hot topic now on coaching. And I know you just did some recent training on coaching. And so today you wanted to share some lessons that you've learned along the way from your mentor. So what do you say? Let's, I want to, I want to know what, what are those lessons? Give them up. Sure. So, so I, I guess I'd like to start by just giving a little bit of background because really, you know, coming to this, to this podcast kind of allowed me the opportunity to reflect. And I always like to take those opportunities and, you know, where I came out on is, you know, I grew up in a, in a really wonderful household. I had very supportive parents who very much supported education and pretty much kind of told me that I could do anything that I set my mind to, which I think was a really wonderful environment to grow up in. Yet, ironically, my parents um, finished high school but never had the opportunity to go to college. So the fact that they really emphasize education so much really had a a pretty strong impact on my siblings and myself. And I mention that because they really instilled in me so many very important values that I've carried with me throughout my life, yet they were not the ones that could show me how to navigate academics because they had not had that experience. So I think that that really helped me to realize the importance of finding mentors early on in my career 
and then continuing to find mentors kind of lifelong. And then, as you had mentioned, I think a little bit earlier, the, the goal to pay back. Like, I think many of us who are in mentoring really kind of want to pay it forward. You know, if we've been fortunate enough to have good mentors, we want to pay it forward to like future generations. Well, Jan, thank you so much for that honesty. I'm in the same boat. Neither of my parents went uh, beyond high school. And I think that the important lesson, what you said there is so, so, so real is that even if, despite not having whatever pedigree, whatever access to resources, access to channels and backdoor connections, we can always make that. We can we can try to build those. So if you, uh, uh, my friends and I were talking over the weekend, it's a family. What was she saying? She's saying it's the family I chose, not the family I was, you know, born into. So this idea of we have um, our families of birth and the families of choice. So she's chosen some um, bonus mom and a bonus dad. And the same thing with the mentoring. I think that's such a really great illustration of how, uh, yeah, my mom and dad knew nothing about, about college. And so that's but there are a lot of people out there who do. So seeking that out actively is, is just kind of, yeah, you can do it. You don't have to figure that you're at a disadvantage. You can advantage yourself by going out and seeking that. So thanks for that. So what, 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 are, what are the lessons? Let's get into them. Well, I'm going to start with the, with the first one that comes to mind. And, and perhaps this is also chronological because this occurred when I was a, a resident and I was in my last year of my residency. And I had been fortunate enough to, I was applying for a fellowship and I'd been accepted at several different fellowships. And I went to talk to the chair of my department who had become a mentor for me. And I was commiserating about what a what a terrible decision this was. And I didn't want to hurt anyone's feeling. I mean, how how grateful I was that I had choices. But yet, you know, I was very focused on I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I didn't want to close any doors, et cetera. And, and this is a person who'd known me quite well, probably for the past year or so. And he just paused and he looked at me and he was a very reflective person. And he said, you know, one thing I've observed, I think he asked me, I'm, I'm very mindful of coaching strategies. And I think he would coach too. But I think he paused and asked if he could share a reflection with me. And I said, of course. And he said, I noticed that you run very hard for the finish line and then you pause right before the finish line and don't step over. And I was like, really? Like I'd never, no one had ever said that to me. And we, we unpacked that a little bit. What he was telling me is that I had some fear of success and it was really interesting. And I think he was right. But the reason I say that is he had the courage to give me really constructive feedback. That that went beyond just like, you should do this, you should do that. You know, he really helped me to self-reflect on what my goals and values were. And also it was, it he took a risk. I mean, I think that was very courageous because I could have been angry. I could have been, you're crazy. Like, what are you talking about? And so the first lesson in my mind is to have the courage to offer constructive feedback um, when it's warranted or when you feel it's necessary. Oh. That's that's so good. You're reminding me of um, the I sent a slide to Rachel because we're doing our junior faculty leadership series. And so we're doing an, a, seg a segment on mentoring relationships and coaching and professional relationships. And the quote I heard that I shared in one of my slides to Rachel was average people don't want coaching. Good people want coaching. 
great people want the truth. And so that's a, a really great illustration of not only that mentor who, as you said, had the courage, but also to you, a credit to you for clearly having built up that his confidence that you're not going to crumble, that you weren't going to fall apart or fly off the handle or really be damaged by a statement that some people might be like, how dare you? You're implying that I don't finish things or what makes you think, you know, me, you're not a therapist kind of a reaction. So that, that building the coaching mentoring relationship, getting to the truth is yeah, that's, that can be sometimes a hard pill to swallow. And yet so insightful, especially from someone who doesn't have any skin in the game, you know, they, he doesn't, he's, his success won't hinge on your success. So that's when that taking that in, letting that sink into you, chewing on it, thinking about it. Wow. What a profound observation and really helped you to reflect and be better for it. And I think it also really informed me of the, the power and the importance of constructive feedback you know, it was the, and it's the balance. Like he also gave me positive feedback and cheered me on, but you know, as a, as a lifelong educator, I've really sought that out or sought that out to give to other people, because how can we be the best we want to be? If, if we knew how to do it all on our own, we would just do it. Right. But, but I've floundered, I've struggled, others do. And so we need the help of others to kind of get us to that next step. And sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And we have these blind spots and they're called blind spots because we can't see them. So the fact that he pointed that out to you was like, oh, really? Huzzah. I have a new insight into myself. That's right. So fear of success is number one. Is that that truth, that truth telling? And giving constructive feedback. Right. Got it. Okay. Number two. All right. Number two would be... um, as a mentor, helping your mentee to strive for excellence, yet pro- uh, providing support to achieve those standards. And I have a story with each of these of these comments. And my story for this is that I was scheduled to give a presentation on my fellowship research, and it was the first time I was going to really present to a large group, you know, nationally. And I was and I was really scared. And my mentor, who is known to be a kind person, but also a very funny person, kind of noted that, pulled me aside, took me for a walk and told me jokes for like 10 minutes. And it kind of helped me to calm down. It helped me to see that this was one small step in my life. And um, then I went up and did the presentation and I'd been prepared. She'd helped me to be you know, well prepared. Um, But the other part of it that was kind of neat is I remember as I was presenting, as helpful as it was, and I knew I had her support, yet when I was on that podium, I was there alone. So now it was up to me to show and to to be effective in my presentation. And so I really appreciated that she could sense and note that I needed that support. Mm. She didn't hover. She knew I had it in me to be uh, the independent presenter researcher that I that I could be, but yet in the background there was that support from her. Wow! So that talk about someone who's an empathetic, um, very wise mentor that she noted that you needed a little perspective, a little bit of levity, and could feel your anxiety, but also had that confidence that you she knew you had it and just needed you just need to kind of get rid of all those nervy nerves. And then knew you could get up there. So I 
wow, again, a smart that comes, I think, with not only some people are born empathetic, but that practice of knowing when to, like you said, be the helicopter mom and standing up to the side and, and giving, sending you through mm-hmm. lines and say, and then the hypothesis is, you know, you don't need somebody that Cyrano de Bergeracking you, but that she she knew, I guess, like any good coach or good mentor, they know where your boundaries are and where those um, sensitive areas are, but also realizing that getting confidence and growing that thick skin is part of the process. And so at some point you got to get out of that nest and knew, I knew that you'd be able to fly. What a great mentor. Okay, good. Love it. Number three. Number three would be, and this is, this is, I'm remembering a person who this was a kind of general principles, but that um, she led with respect, kindness, collegiality, and grace. And, you know, being in academics, it's kind of a competitive environment, at least it it has been kind of in my career. And I've had both male and female mentors. And this happened to be a female mentor. And it was she was probably one of the first women I'd met who could do that, who, again, could lead with grace and with kindness and not necessarily show that competitive edge all the time. And that was very refreshing to me. Um, It was very um, helpful to know that there are various ways to lead. And you can kind of find the authentic way to lead that matches your personality or matches your style. Mm-hmm. So I was appreciative of that. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about that kindness and grace, collegiality? I get the collegiality. I get the respect, the kindness and the grace. So especially as women, how do you or how did you, can, thinking back on her style and the way she presented and her the way she led, what sticks with you that reminds you of her and that was, I'm thinking of the quote, like, don't confuse my kindness for weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started in this space, faculty development space, someone once said to me, oh, you're just like a superficial cheerleader coupled with my extroverted personality and I'm always so excited about everything and I'm all demonstrative and touchy feely huggy and they feel like you should be running around with pom-poms and I thought well yeah maybe but also like what's wrong with that and then the then it occurred to me that I may not be presenting as having any gravitas or enough gravitas because to some people ironically especially I think people who are more they're quieter introverted. They look at people who are extroverts as being just superficial. We're all just fluff and we flit around like butterflies and puppy dogs. And we never sit still enough to think deeply about things and gravely. So can you recall something about her persona that made you think kind, graceful, and yet having an authority that people would respect her? So that balance of being kind, but not being confused or being weak and just like a a mommy that you could just steamroll right over. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I just have to make a comment, Kim. I always have perceived you to be actually quite deep and very self-reflective. So <laughs> I just had to put that out there. But so I think she did it a couple of ways. And I and I knew this woman and she mentored me probably for over a decade. So I knew her for a long time. But you know, there was there was substance behind what she said or did. I, you know, I'm remembering um I was doing a research project and I lost um you know, I had a very small amount of funding and I lost that funding and I was interviewing people and she actually helped to do interim interviewing until I got funding again, because she knew I had a deadline to meet. 
And this was a very busy woman. So, I mean, isn't that incredible? I could see by the look on your face. Like, I thought that was incredible. Wow. You know, we go through personal struggles throughout our careers and personal tragedies. And she was always there to kind of support me when that happened. Um, I think in meetings, I really liked it. She truly listened. Like, you know, it kind of reminds me leadership and being an educator. I think there's a lot of similarities. And in education, there's a lot of dialogue about as a teacher, do you want your learners to learn or do you want to look really good? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so she, although she still looked good, I think, in my opinion, but it was really she wanted people to learn. She wanted people to thrive. So it wasn't about her looking fabulous or looking brilliant. Um even though that still came out, it probably didn't come out as quickly as it does with other people who maybe value that more, but she just had a lot of substance and a lot of depth and, and just very graceful. If she was mistaken, she let you know, if she'd made an error, she let you know. And, you know, she was one of the people that helped me to realize I learned much more from my mistakes and my failures than I have from my successes. So, and it's not just taking a Pollyanna, you know, rose colored glass, look at it. It's really true. You learn a tremendous amount from the things that you may, or I see as a failure that has really helped me to be a better person, to be a better teacher, to be a better spouse, to be a better sibling, to be a better, whatever better I want to be. So yeah, that's that's a lot of courage. If you're not making mistakes, you're not taking too many risks or chances, right? If I make that same recipe over and over and over again and never deviate, it's going to always be great. And I'm never going to screw that up. And it's going to be consistently good, which is fine. Unless I want to do something a little bit more and extra. And then I start adding, you know, adding little different things to that recipe or try a different recipe. And that somebody says, that's rotten. Yeah, good. Now I'll never do that again. That experiment didn't work. That's right. So now we know that. <laughs> That didn't contribute mm-hmm. to that outcome. So you're welcome. <laughs> so yeah, learning a lot from the failures. Love it. She sounds like a, a wonderful human being. Uh, number four. So number four is taking the time to care about someone's well-being. And this one has another story. So I had been a faculty member at Hopkins for probably about two or three years and I had just been, um, and I was currently on the inpatient service and I was really, really busy. So I, and in those days we were on service for like four weeks at a time. Mm. So week three, I was really tired. I'd gotten a lot of calls the night before, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I had my annual review with the person who was my chairperson at the time. So I went into this and I thought, you know, I'm just going to smile. I'm going to agree with whatever he says. Just, I just want to be in there and get out of there. So not very self-reflective, right? <laughs> I'm sitting in this person's office and he walks in and I, I should give you a little bit of a preamble. This person was known for his wit. He was very funny, had a great sense of humor, probably not known as much for a sensitivity. And anyway, he walks in the room and he looks at me and he says, he pauses and he goes, Jan, from where do you get your nourishment? And Kim, I was thinking so concretely at the time, I was like, is he asking me if I eat in the cafeteria? Like, why did he ask me that? And thank goodness I didn't answer right away because he would have laughed like you are. And it would have been all over the all over the department the next day, what I said. But I paused. There was something about a look in his eye. And I paused and I thought, oh my goodness, this person who is a very busy person, the leader of my whole department, I'm one of I don't know, over a hundred faculty that he's meeting with has taken the time to see how I'm doing. And am I taking care of myself? 
And I have to tell you, Kim, that was that was life altering and career altering for me to have someone do that to pause because this was in an era where self care and well being was not a hot topic at all. It was actually probably stifled. And very important to me, and really again informed my career in making me realize how important my own well being is in addition to my colleagues, my trainees, you know, everyone that I work with, my family, et cetera. So that that was a really really powerful one. So another little pithy saying, people don't necessarily care what you know. They want to know that you care. Mm -hmm. So that's a great example of, of, wow, the power of a curious question, an authentic question versus the, hey, how you doing? I mean, there's a whole Mm -hmm. difference. We could probably play out two vignettes of my, you walking into my office and I'm shuffling papers around my desk. Hey, how you doing, Jan? That's not a, and then plowing right over. And then your read is, okay, Kim's all business. Fine, great, never been better. Happy, healthy, blessed. How you doing? Let's roll. Versus the sitting there, where, you know, how are you doing? Whoa, that's a whole different. Oh, this is real. This is not from a power bar. This is I get my nourishment from whatever. But I think it also, when you were um, sharing that story, makes me think of the assumptions that we all make that, you know, you started with the preamble of this person didn't have a reputation for, or had a reputation mm-hmm. of, and we all do that. We make all, we put things and people and places in boxes to be able to process them efficiently. And isn't that a beautiful slash horrifying thing sometimes when something else arrives to test our assumptions mm-hmm. about other people and about ourselves? Yeah. And that they're oftentimes wrong. Those, those either quick assumptions or assumptions we get from other people. Exactly. Yeah. I I love that. And how, and that's sometimes such a challenge, Jan, is the, we all know these things, just being courteous and, and kind and really interested because it takes time. And after this global pandemic and two years of all this, the chaos and the politics and the And just the the horrible things that many of us are going through on a a personal level, on a community level, on a city and state and national, international, that I think sometimes these soft things are dismissed as we don't have time for that. We all need to get down to business. And this takes too much time. And I guess if you were to look at a time and motion study, yeah, it takes about 30 seconds, maybe a minute. To really ask Jan how she's doing and then to really truly care and not be flipping through my phone or flipping through my emails or looking over her shoulder to see who else is behind her that I need to talk to. But if you don't invest that time now, I mean, it it, it pays off. It pays enough that it's like we're doing it for transactional reasons. It's is that the the there's so many benefits to changing the way the pace of life to truly care because then you feel it just it changes the feeling. And I'm a high, I'm a heavy tea thinker. It, it grows your heart, you know, post, you know, opposite Grinch, like when you, you feel better about your life, your choice of career, your people or your relationships, when you feel seen and mattered. And when we do that to other people and with them, mm-hmm. instead of being that dismissive cursory, how you doing? Cause we're all busy, busy, busy. You know, I love to chit chat, but I don't have time, you know? Yeah. But unless somebody's bleeding out on the table, I think if we make that part of our routine and our practice, I mean, can, is there harm in that? I mean, we're, do we really? 
No, you know, and and I think you raise a really important point and I don't want to go too much off topic. So you'll have to invite me back for another podcast for this one. But, you know, I do a lot of work on well-being and resilience and the pandemic has taught us many things. But one thing I feel it's really taught us is how foundational it is to have what I term a culture of caring, Mm -hmm. to have sure where you are around people that care about you, that you care about that's foundational. And there's a lot of research now going into looking at like work environment and learning environment and, you know, veering away from what I could name many toxic components of the work environment to now having a work environment where people feel loved and supported and, um, and, and have the ability to thrive in what they do. So I, I think that we're, I hope we're going to have a pendulum swing more into that direction now that we've got to continue to maintain that and show that and support that. Yeah. I want to just add one last thing because I'm definitely going to bring you all back to the faculty factory and talk about this culture of caring concept. One last thought is it just popped into my head and I only, I can make it go away only by putting it out of my face here. But one of a, a colleague said, when it was during a leadership course, we're talking about relationships and like this, this um, the surveys, or I can't remember the name of the survey that a lot of hospitals, they do. It's not, oh gosh, it's about like, it's the, one of the questions is, do you have a best friend at work? Whatever that survey is, you know what I'm talking about, where, you know, to assess quality of life at, at work. And we got on this topic of relationships and feeling valued and feeling connected and engaged and satisfied and all those satisfiers and and the naysayer you know said come on man we're work to work get your love at home and it's that stuck with me and I'm thinking now more than ever my gosh there's no home and work we are so living we're literally I'm talking to you from my basement and they're literally you know these are busy god bless them clinicians who they're they're not they're never at home because they're always in the clinic so if you're telling me get my love at home. And I'm talking, of course, in the broadest, most beautiful, authentic way is how do we even separate that feeling of loved and valued and missed? And we've missed you and we care about you and you're part of our family. If not now, my gosh, how are we ever going to feel that unless we become, you know, robot and Borg, we go to your Borg and we unplug from our brains and our heart, our heart, not our brains, but our hearts. And we just go through our business and be a little machine and a robot and then go home. And now I can have feelings and emotions and give love and feel love. I I, I say no, I say nay. Anyway, anyway. (laughs) All right, Jan, I'm I'm going on a rip here. Uh, Number five, lessons from Jan Serwitz mentor. So this mentor was really a lifelong mentor for me. And I'm going to say the lesson and then give you a little bit of backstory. But the mentor having the humility to know that individuals have their own inner wisdom, but the mentor may need to provide guidance to find that wisdom. And this circles back a little bit to what we talked about before. And and I'm finding as I'm doing more research into coaching that this is a lot of what coaching is about. You know, a coach really helps you to find your way respecting that you have the answers, but you may be blocked to kind of access them. And and I smile as I say this, this mentor was a wonderful, wonderful human being. Yet every time I went into his office, I didn't see him all the time, but I would seek him out when I felt I really needed him. And I would say 50% of the time, I would start crying in his office. 
So the poor mentor probably thought like this woman just cries all the time, but he was smart enough to know that wasn't true. He just knew that the emotions were strong enough for me to come see him to kind of sort things out. But I really, that really was transformational for me to have someone not just tell me what to do, which is to be frank, what some mentors do. And sometimes they're on target and sometimes they're not. And sometimes it's awkward if you don't want to take their advice, et cetera. But this relationship, again, and I use that word respectfully, was transformational. Just really to have to know and be empowered that I did have the answers. And I tried to use that that technique a lot with the people I mentored going forward um, because what do I know? You know, I'm, I, I know of a person, I know a little bit about them, but I may not truly understand them to the depth that they understand themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is definitely a great characteristics of a good coach helping you explore and uncover, uncover the, the, the answers that are in you. And definitely, you know, we think of mentoring as sometimes being more uh, directive and problem solving. You go for advice and guidance, whereas the coaches is more that thought partnering, um, exploratory, looking for alternatives with the assumption, again, another assumption that you have the answer to perhaps you don't quite, you're not quite aware of them yet, but humility. I'm, I'm thinking more about the humility. You, you preface this with humility. What do you think, you know, was that training or how did that, how did this mentor, particular mentor bring, bring this skill set to that? You know, I'm not sure. I never asked him that. It, it reminded me of workshops I had been, leadership workshops I've gone to too, that were kind of based in some Quaker background too, mm-hmm. in, in kind of they use the analogy of like you hold this bird in your in your hand and you you kind of allow it to fly and allow it to thrive. And the reason I use the word humility is I, I guess this is this is me putting this on him and others who are capable of doing this. But I think there's a bit of a humility in real in in doing this. Right. Because it's very easy to say, oh, Jan, obviously you should do this or oh, obviously just buck up and stop it or whatever. But humility of realizing that while they, as the mentor, have skills, they may not know everything and they don't know everything about the individual that they're mentoring and to have respect for that. Does that make sense? It, it does. And it just that's another deep conversation. You're, you're getting me to think about that back to an assumption ladder that I, what I like about your use of the word humility is it reminds me and reminds us that we all have a story we all have multiple stories. We all have multiple backstories. And so the, as you said, like it's so when a, when a junior faculty member or a faculty member, anybody comes to me for mentoring or coaching or sponsorship or anything like that, my, because I'm a um, Myers-Briggs again, I'm, and I'm not supposed to do this, Kim, stop laboring your stuff. But I tend to go like, I want to find answers. I am just kind of hard driving. Let's get her done, fix it. Come on, let's push. And so I, my, my immediate quick thinking will be my fast thinking will be to, well, wait, isn't it obvious? Why doesn't Jan just do one, two, three? And then when I fight that urge, that assumption of like, well, obviously Jan is competent. Um, she is, and she's motivated. She's already, those are the assumptions I have to make that are make sense. She's clearly accomplished and knows what she's doing. And if that's so obvious, it would be obvious to her 
So what else is going on here? I need to listen between the lines. And I'm going to make another assumption that there's something else going on here that I don't quite know yet or appreciate or understand. And that curiosity, as our colleague Rachel Levino says, ask curious questions. When I remind myself, Kim, don't be judgy and pushy. Be curious, be curious, be curious. That's where all of a sudden is you round the corner in the conversation and you go, aha, isn't this interesting? And now we're in a whole different ballgame. But I think that backing up my thought process here, it comes to what you said is the humility to recognize I, Kim Skorupski, coach, mentor, whatever, am not the keeper of all truth. I have my truth. You have yours. I may be the expert in this specific mechanism for IL-5, IL-6, and I've published 100 papers there. And still, I don't know all the specifics of your background, your experiences, your goals, your vision for your future, and all the variables that factor into that regression equation to see what Jan should do. So I love that you use that word humility. That's a great reminder. Number six, Dr. Serwin. And this is the last one. And this is just um, being encouraged to lead an authentic life. And this is actually a shout out to my husband. Um, I think we're mentored by a lot of different people. We're mentored by peers. We may be mentored by people more junior than us or more senior than us, but also our family may be mentors to us. And I think many of us see family members as mentors, but my husband, I, I just feel like he's not in medicine. He has really helped me be grounded and he's also helped me to be authentic. And now I'm nervous because I know you're going to ask me, what exactly do you mean by that? So I'm still <laughs> Because I've not thought about this. But but I guess just being honest and being yourself and being okay to succeed and being okay to fail and just um, being true to yourself and your values and and what's important to you. Yeah, I I get that. And I'm not going to probe into your personal business. Um, I I know that you like you like him. He's he's a good guy. He's a keeper. I'll put a shout out for Jan Sherwin's husband. He sounds like a keeper. Mm And you're and you're right. The uh, the authenticity is it's so much more comfortable and relaxed when we can be honest and and tell people that this is what you see is what you get. The WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. With with Kim Skrupski, obviously, and people are like, yeah, because I say everything that comes out of my face, and I just say enough words till something makes sense. But when we don't put on airs and don't go to where sometimes we feel like we must put on a show or act as if, then it's like, well, this is who I am. And I'm going to say wrong things. I'm going to say silly things. And I'm going to say sometimes say inappropriate things. And you as my tribe and my people will love me and value me and understand me and give me a little bit of mercy and grace. And that safety, I think we talk a lot about, you know, these days, you know, safety and microaggressions and outright aggressions that, and we're so, you know, we have such a high, a low threshold, I guess, now for, for, for words and language and people, we're very careful about what we say. There's something to be said for that environment where, yes, we're careful, we're thoughtful, we are trying to be sensitive and yet authentic, like, I'm going to mess up. Uh, I'm, I'm not the be-all, know-all. I, I, I'm going to invite you to help me be better. And to and to you know do a better job, and, and I'm going to count on you to do that. And I'm also going to you know be straight with you. So that 
that honesty is something so sometimes so hard to do though, because it really going to dig deep when someone I ask my team, what can I do better? And they say, well, Kim, actually this. And I, and you go, Oh, really? Ah, oh, darn it. But it, it's tough. But if you set up that culture and that expectation of, no, we're not getting out of this meeting until someone tells me some piece of constructive criticism, then you get used to that. And then people get used to sharing with you without knowing that you're going to bite their head off or mm-hmm. knowing your husband's not going to be out in the garage sleeping for the next week. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jan, this is so nice of you. I'm so, it's just really refreshing to, to have you around here at Hopkins and to be part of our, our, our community and, um, and really have put so much thought into the, these lessons from your mentor. I love these kind of conversations that really get us down to why we do what we do. And you clearly have an undying passion for this. So thanks for putting all the thought into this. Do you want to say anything, anything more, a little tickler about our, the culture of care? Yeah, and- just two quick things. One is that I, I, what I hoped I demonstrated by some of these lessons is that most of us need what I call a mentoring mosaic or a mentoring team. Like one mentor, you know, although I've had had lifelong mentors that I value, I've had different mentors at different stages. And I think that's important. And I'd love to end with a quote. And I as I say this, because usually it's a quote by Sir William Osler, but I have a different quote today. And this is a quote by Yoda to Luke Skywalker in one of the Star Wars movies. Oh my. <laughs> he said, we are what they grow beyond. And my interpretation of that is that good mentors hope that their mentees will exceed what they have accomplished. And so I think that's important lessons to learn by. Certainly my mentors were that way. And I hope to be that way to my mentees also, that they should exceed what I've done and that I, I am joyful in that success. We are what they grow beyond. Mm-hmm. Good old Yoda. Dr. Janet Serwin, you are wonderful. Thank you so much for contributing and caring about our community here in the Faculty Factory. Let's all share this wisdom. And why don't you be on the Faculty Factory podcast? You can do it, or you know friends who should be here talking with us and sharing um, with us. So please do that. Email me at facultyfactorykim at gmail.com. And if you want to get a hold of Dr. Janet Serwin, go to the website, Check out her the blurb for her and email her at Serwent at J. What is it? J. Serwent. J. Serwent at at J-H-M-I. When I email you, it's you have I, I thought it was like this one name comes up. Maybe it's just you, my nickname for you just comes up and like share. She's just the one name. <laughs> but you'll find Dr. Janet Serwin on the facultyfactory.org website. And then she would always be happy to, to chat with you at Jay Serwin at Jimmy, J-H-M-I. Thanks, Jan. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Kim. I, it was really fun talking with you. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time.
The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.